Hi and welcome to Defining Boundaries, a podcast about the interesting characters from our surveying and spatial industry and their unique perspectives on life and our industry. I'm Peter Cox and I use my 25 years of contacts as a surveyor and teacher to dig deep into the lives of others. Each fortnight, I delve into the life and times of people from all over the world who share the same profession and passions. Don't forget to subscribe to my channel, like, comment, feel free to share with your friends. Do you have a question about the surveying or spatial industry? Or would you like to join me for a chat? Or would you like to hear from someone in particular? If so, send me a message on LinkedIn or Instagram and we can catch up. Defining Boundaries with Peter Cox. Hi and welcome to Defining Boundaries. I'm sure you all know me by now, but just in case you don't, my name is Peter Cox and I'm here this week with me, myself and I. I was supposed to be airing Tim Birch's interview today, but I'm putting that one back a week one whole week to line up with my one-year anniversary of Defining Boundaries. I wanted to take the time today to thank you all, all of the wonderful people that I have spoken to over the past year and to all of you that have been listening to my episodes. Without the generosity of each person who has taken time out of their day to chat with me, I wouldn't be here today celebrating Defining Boundaries one year of podcasting. My day today involves being a mentor, mother, wife, entrepreneur, and a manager for educational development with a little social media posting in between. Okay, so as you may be able to tell, I'm a busy person. Hence the reason my podcast is raw, it's honest, and it's underproduced. I do it in my free time. I know it's raw, it's mostly unedited, and I'm probably not the best MC or interviewer, but that's okay. I don't mind. I do it for me. I do it for the connections that I get to make with other like-minded people, to be able to catch up with people from our broad and diverse industry. It's just a bonus that so many of you choose to listen in also. Now, I have a full-time job. I'm the National Training and Development Manager with Consulting Surveyors National. Yes, I've changed jobs again in the middle of COVID. What am I thinking? Anyway, so I was at Cardinal Geospatial as a project manager and senior surveyor for just over a year. But anyway, back to now, my new job. I'm developing a national program for the Surveyors Academy in partnership with the University of Southern Queensland to deliver the Certificate for in Surveying and Spatial Information Services and the Diploma of Surveying starting early next year. It's an exciting time. Myself and some fantastic industry representatives will be working with future surveyors across our nation and helping them attain a qualification whilst working in industry. I love the notion of working with industry to provide the support and mentorship these future surveyors need. 
So stay tuned for where we are headed with the Academy early next year. Now, through my contacts, I've managed to worm my way into a few podcasts. It all started with Elaine Ball from the Geospatial Marketer on her Instagram Live GeoJabber. Since then, I've chatted with Tim Birch on the NSPS podcast, joined Narelle Underwood, our Surveyor General of New South Wales, on the Geoholics, their 100th episode. Pretty exciting, so stay tuned for that one. And I've chatted with Megan from Doing Girly Things, airing early next year and talking all things surveying. Now, I believe that if we can get our stories out there, we may be lucky enough for someone to listen and think that this profession of ours is not so bad. We are in a skills shortage, and that seems to be getting larger every year. Industry needs the support of all surveyors. We need to get the word out there to the younger generations. There are so many different ways of doing this. Register for work experience, kids. Do a demonstration at your local school. Get involved with initiatives like Maths in Surveying Days, Diversity Day, She Maps, or get kids into survey. We need to promote our industry. We need to promote it to keep it thriving. So make sure that you post, share, and talk. Get involved in the community and make a difference. Now, as I will be celebrating the podcast first year, I wanted to do something special for my listeners. It's a special thank you to you guys. To be involved, keep an eye out on my Defining Boundaries Instagram page next week for some cool giveaways over the month of October. Make sure that you like, post, share all of the things that I'm putting on there to be in the running to win these cool prizes. If you'd like to support my podcast, you can make a donation on my Patreon page. The link is in the show notes and in my bio. Anyway, that's enough from me for now. I wanted to take today's podcast and share some of my favourite snippets from the year gone by. So thanks for listening and I hope you enjoy the trip down memory lane. There's a couple of times... So this is funny because I ask this question at interviews all the time. Um, and when it comes to me, I'll give you the response that I gave during an interview once. Um, it was from my great grandmother mm-hmm. and she turned to me one day and just said, don't lose your spark. Um, you know, and that's something that you, we've all got a spark inside us. Yeah. And, you know, if we feel that we can do anything. Yeah. If we don't, you know, we feel like we can't do anything. Yeah, that's pretty good advice. I'd take that one. <laughs> <laughs> and what's your star sign? Leo. Leo, lion. All right. Well, that's it for me. So thank you, Rod. Thank you so much for coming on today. Um, so can I do any sprouting for you for any Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook can we find uh, look, you anywhere? You can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, you won't find me on Facebook, but you will find me on LinkedIn. Uh, and Intrax has its feeds through LinkedIn and Instagram and, and all those others as well, Facebook as well. So if, you, if, mm-hmm. you, um, if you're interested in what surveyors do, um, 
and by all means follow the things that I post on, you know, LinkedIn. Um, I'm also trying to spread on LinkedIn some awareness of dyslexia. Um, my daughter who's nine has dyslexia oh, and I believe okay. my, both my wife and I believe that we had traits of it when we were younger as well. So oh. I didn't like reading until I was much, much, much older. Wow. Um, and, and I struggled, you know, at school, mm-hmm. you know, I dreaded being called out to, to read a paragraph in a book because I just knew I wasn't going to get through it. And typically I didn't. Um, so uh, I want to spread awareness of that because um, it doesn't, it shouldn't stop you from doing anything that you put your mind to. Mm-hmm. And do you have any causes or anything that you align with when it comes to the dyslexia or that's just something you want to try and get out there with people that. I just want to get it out there. There's, um, I'll, I'll put a post up on LinkedIn shortly, but there is a foundation that does some fantastic stuff with it uh, and they're spreading awareness also. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll put some links up on there as well. Okay, awesome. I'm looking forward to it. Well, thank you so much for taking the time out today and having a chat with me, Ron. I've enjoyed it. I hope you have too. I have. <laughs> oh, excellent. I'm, I'm, and I'm glad, I'm, I'm glad that um, I could help. Thank you so much. Curiest. Uh, moment is uh, the farmer turning up on site uh, saying that we had 30 seconds to get off his property or he was going to get the shotgun out of the back of the ute. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, you know, I've had that. Um, mm. I always remember one of my first uh, acquisition surveys with RMS getting out of the truck and nearly standing on a uh, on a brown snake that was bloody scary i don't like snakes <laughs> yeah, you live in an area where there is a lot of snakes <laughs> yeah, right. i don't see them very often <laughs> so what would be the funniest thing do you think it was one of those or you've got something else in mind um i know i can't think of something anything that's you know something that comes to mind that's too funny to be honest at this moment mine's gone blank <laughs> That's okay. All right. So what's, um, what's the best work advice that you've ever heard? Um, or it could be the worst. Take your pick. (laughs) (laughs) Look, uh, it's not so much work advice, but I guess there's two things that I kind of live my life by in times of, uh, you know, um, we spend more time at work than we do at home. Mm-hmm. So find something you love doing and get paid to do it. Um, surveying for me is that. So I'm really lucky in that aspect. Um, you know, there are shitty parts of my job. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, the joy of being surveyor general is that you've got to deal with uh, disciplinary action for surveyors that have done the wrong thing. And that is the absolute worst part of my job. But, you know, being able to talk to students or, um, being involved in exams and seeing candidates work their way through that process and being the person that gets to hand them their life, their registration to practice, you know, those things by far outweigh the bad. Um, I spend mo- more of my time doing the good side of things. Um, you know, being able to help the state develop the spatial digital twin and the way that we're pushing the boundaries in terms of technology and how spatial data is used to guide government policy and inform the strategic direction of our state, those things are really inspiring. So, you know, from that advice perspective, you know, I get, I love my job. I happen to get paid really well to do it. <laughs> yep. You just mentioned um, it. Then, oh, Go, sorry. Uh, 
I was going to say, and the other part is um, something I live my life by has always been the standard you walk past is the standard you accept. So, you know, having the courage and conviction to hold up for your ethical standards and call that out when there's, you know, behaviour that isn't appropriate, it's something that's hard and it's made me some enemies along the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's something that I really live my life by and that's personal life as well as work life. Yeah, that's a good one. Your star sign? Scorpio. Oh, Nell, thanks so much for joining me today. I've had a blast. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Peter. Um, Any social media platforms you want to promote, worthy causes before we finish? (laughs) Um, So uh, Narelle Underwood for LinkedIn, um, at New South Wales SG if you're on Twitter. uh, worthy causes, I think one of the things that we need to speak more about is mental health. So Beyond Blue is my charity of choice. Okay, fantastic. Thank you so much and have a great night. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Peter. Worst thing is, probably, like I said, probably the near misses in the paddock, uh, having bits of equipment get trashed or something like that or having to tell the boss that a drain's crashed. That's probably the hardest thing to do. Oh, has that happened a few times or? Uh, it's happened a couple of times. Um, one or two, one taken out by an eagle and another oh, yeah. one where a, a, one of my guys rang me and the drone had literally fell out of the sky. So, uh, or say, so, yeah, that can be like, oh my God, there's a $40,000 drone and now I've got to go and tell the directors that it's in a high wall or something like that. So, uh, yeah. yeah, that's not fun. No, that wouldn't be fun. <laughs> no, no. It's like watching the uh, jigger get run over by a bus. It's not nice. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't be happy about that. <laughs> What's the what? uh, best work advice that you've ever heard? Be a sponge. Yeah. Um, uh, always never close your mind to learning something new, whether it's from somebody who's 20 or somebody who's 60. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody has different experiences and you don't know everything. You can't know everything. Um, and don't be scared to put your hand up and say, hey, I'm not sure how to do this, and someone give me a hand. Um, But being a sponge and leaving your mind open to the fact that every job on every day has something different and you can learn from it. Yeah, good advice. What's the worst advice you've ever heard? You're always right. (laughs) Well, some people think they are. They do. That's that's exactly right. That's probably the. I have one surveyor who told me he was never wrong, and I just thought that's naive and arrogant. So, um, and I just don't appreciate people like that. Yeah. <laughs> probably the. Somebody asked me the other week um, if I had to have a legacy, what would it be? And I said, uh, particularly in this industry, to be the, from a passion that I love it and whatever it is I want to do and uh, to make it better, whether it's uh, the integrity of the cadaster or ingraining that uh, next thing into our, um, the next generation of surveyors, that's what I'd want to be remembered for. Um, So that that would probably be my legacy. Yeah, it would be um, most definitely. And that's probably, um, that's a really good question actually. Um, Thinking about, yeah, what your legacy would be. And I would hope that that's what mine would be is I'd be remembered as somebody who put in in the industry and that they could rely on me for advice. And I don't care who it is. If you're oh. from another firm and you you know, see that we do something and 
people I'm happy for people to contact me and ask me for advice on projects. Mm-hmm. Star sign? Libra. Libra. Ooh, you're my first Libra. Well, that's it. We're done. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me today. I've had a, uh, uh, I've enjoyed it. Uh, no worries, Peter. Thank you so very much for your time. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Do you, So before we go, do you have any social media platforms or any causes that you'd like to share with the audience? Oh, obviously, I'm on LinkedIn through uh, with, and I share a lot of the stuff through that. But um, the one of the big things are the, is the are you okay? Because a lot of people have work-life stress that they don't talk about and we need to, we need to all be able to talk to somebody about stuff. So that would be the big one. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty important, isn't it? It is, it's massive. Um, you, you never know what anyone's going through and to let them know that they've got someone that they can talk to is, uh, yeah, pretty big. I right yeah, behind you 100%. on that one. Ah, that's awesome. Yeah, well, thank you again. Uh, it's no been, worries, thank you. What's the worst thing that's happened to you while you've been out in the field? Well, <laughs> it's, uh, I'm very... Um, Shameful to admit, because oh, uh, don't be shameful. I've had some doozies. <laughs> and I've done some doozies. So <laughs> no, but uh, no, it's, it's nothing um, very serious. It's just once I painted black one of my assistant surveyors uh, because we were uh, we were preparing um, uh, some photogrammetry work. So we were placing a geographic markup on the on the on the road for the the plane to, for the, the the flight to yeah. to happen. And at some point, I had um, a paint of uh, a box of paint in my hands because obviously we were like marking the you know the, <laughs> where the, the the sign were, so we put black black paint everywhere on our around the marks. And at some point, the um, the box was a bit um, well it slipped through my finger, yeah. just splashed on the floor, and all the paint was splashed over my assistant surveyor. Oh. So I was like. <laughs> I was mortified. <laughs> he said, okay, just don't worry, it's water-based paint, so it won't, won't do much harm, you know, no, no I'll, I'll pay for the, for the cleaning, uh, for the dry cleaning. No, 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 don't worry, don't worry. But I was mortified, you know, and, uh, <laughs> and my, my people, they joked a lot about me uh, with, uh, <laughs> because of this story, so I was really, uh, yes, that's the worst thing, but it was, it was also a funny thing when but, you, yeah, you think yeah. about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've been a bit clumsy that day, I admit it. <laughs> that happens on the field. Yeah, <laughs> Everything happens. happens. <laughs> what's, the wor- what's the worst work advice that you've ever heard? Um, I think I haven't, I haven't had any worst advice. Uh, it's, it's more like your best advice. Yeah, what's the best? Um, worst, yes, worst I can think of, of any, but the best was to always control and, and uh, double check the work, yeah. especially in our fields where, where accuracy is really paramount. So yes, always control, double check everything you do. You do. So yes, yeah. that's, uh, yeah, that's, that's a, a, some piece of advice I, I strictly follow. A pretty good one to have. Um, as as a I was a, a teacher at one stage and that was one of the things when they were out in the field to always, you know, when you read something through the instrument, when you write it down, look at what you write down, go back and read it again and double check what you've done because you can do write numbers the wrong way and stuff like that. And yeah, a few exactly. students got caught quite often doing that. So <laughs> 
Exactly. So yes, uh, mm. that's lessons you learn when you learn about sewing because sometimes you just uh, you're working with with other students. And sometimes they, they kick the, the, the tripod or something, oh. but they don't want to read it. And then you check the work when you, you go back to the office, you check the work, and that's a, there's a problem here. I mean, there's a problem with the, the measurements and everything. Say, so, okay, I admit it, I may have kicked the tripod. What? <laughs> Why would you just, just admit it when you're on the work so we can do it again? And I mean, we, it, it's all right, it's natural. I mean, it's human to kick a tripod, or we won't hold it against, against you, but at least let's. let's um, let us do do the work again because otherwise we're just wasting time, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Who's had the biggest impact on your career? Um, I, I just feel like all I feel like um, just all the surveyors that I yeah. work with um, at uh, at Love Grove, all the boys. I still chat to all of them. And I got I was only seventeen when I started, so seventeen mm. coming on to eighteen. I turned eighteen in the Jan, Frenchy. and all the boys were. Yeah, exactly. And all the boys were like 25 to 28 at the time already when I started. So they were still young. They only just had a missus. Like they only they were still yeah. wanted to party and, yeah. and have fun. And yeah, they were, they were, I, I learned a hell of a lot from them boys. Like from, and I look back on it and just like, they didn't have to take you under that wing. It was very good culture at Love Grove. It was very family orientated. Like we always, if it was rain days, all the boys would go for pizza together. We sit down, every survivor would sit down and have pizza together. And it was like, it was always time when the lunch was on and you're in the office. We all went to lunch together every time. It wasn't like, oh, it's lunchtime now. And like, I never forget it. Like that never happened ever again when I went to any other company. Like I was so used to mm. when it was lunchtime, you would go to lunch with everybody. And you would, whoever was in the office, we would go to lunch together and we would pick one spot and all eat. And that was the biggest thing that killed me is when, going to other companies like I love to socialize and that was the, it never happened nobody everybody eat at their desk or just keep working and like you're entitled to your break like like fair enough I like to eat on the run now and do things but it's my business it's my time I do whatever I like but if I was working for a company like you're going to sit down and have you have your break or you're going to get your break elsewhere if you're going to work through you're going to finish earlier so mm. yeah that was the thing where like especially at Rygates at the beginning we used to go out to the pub every Friday at, at the scary canary in the city and it was only one or two of us that used to go. Yeah. And then by the end of it, everybody was like, yeah. let's get like that. It was everybody. We used to get everybody out, try to get the directors to come as well. And they used to do like a $10 steak and a, and a pint for 10 bucks. Oh, nice. I have a bit, have a beer and a steak at lunch. And like yeah. one beer ain't going to affect your calcs on a Friday afternoon. And every, nobody's really, nobody's really <laughs> doing too. Not, nobody's really, not, on a, not on a Friday, <laughs> are they? No, you've got it all done in the morning. So you're just doing, you're just doing timesheets or yeah. prepping or, yeah. So. Just ordering plans. That doesn't matter. It, it, that, nah, you can, you can be half cut doing that. You can pretty much be cut doing that. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. <laughs> what's the okay what is the best work advice you've ever heard um best work advice um pretty much i don't know i think it's just every survivor just always check like oh, i never i think i was yeah just always being told to triple check and used to always pull the tape across the road or like just yeah like i don't think there was always if you're never always in doubt and always and always ask questions like that was another thing i used to get i used to like at the beginning i was scared to say i always just i could do everything and i couldn't and then the survey used to get angry at me for, for, for trying to because i felt like 
So then it was kind of the thing where like you just put your hand up. You don't know what they're doing or something was going on. Like they yeah, ask questions and there's no silly, there's no stupid questions. Like yeah. No, no, you say there's no stupid questions, but you'll still have a giggle sometimes, won't you? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you still laugh about it and then you'll, then you'll answer it. Exactly. But then you'll answer. <laughs> what is the best work advice that you've ever heard? Best work advice? Hmm. I think the best work advice is, is, you know, if challenges or situations come up that are outside of your control, I think just don't, don't take them personally. Mm-hmm. I think that's really helped me in particularly my role now within Spire. Mm-hmm. Um, that advice was given to me um, by the MD and he said, you know, don't take this stuff personally. It, it's, it's, um, out of your control yeah. and and I think that's helped me as a manager what's the worst advice you've ever heard <laughs> <laughs> yeah good question yeah I don't know I can't think of anything that's been really bad okay. I've probably just dismissed it if it's been really bad <laughs> When you, uh, when did something start out badly for you, but ended up being really good or great? Making you think here. <laughs> hmm. Well, making me think today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think the move from the country to the city when I started to go to uni was a really challenging situation for me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the just moving away from your family and the people that you've known all of your life into the city environment was very challenging. Um, And luckily I had a very good friend who suggested that I come and live with her in the share house that she'd just jumped into. So that turned out to be a good experience. Um, It started, it started pretty rocky, but we got there in the end and I think it turned out to be an amazing experience Yeah, at the the end of it. It's a it's a it's a big thing going from a small country town into the city. A complete change Absolutely. of uh, lifestyle, isn't it? Yep. Mm. And I had never spent any time in the city as a kid. Some some children from the country get to go to the city for day trips and things like that. But I'd never had any of that. So luckily, my friend was there to kind of take me by the hand and show me around the city and and do all of the things that you enjoy doing when you when you just start out at uni. <laughs> do um um okay what what quote or saying um have you heard people say that you just think is absolute bs oh bs i thought you were going to say what is the best thing the best saying ever Hmm. oh you can give me that one too but you still need to answer my other question (laughs) okay let me think about your first question i'll give you i'll give you the um the one that I think is good, yep. and this comes from my husband. He loves this expression. It is to to move towards the horizon. You need to lose sight of the shore. Is that mm-hmm. the one? So, to fulfil your goals on the horizon, you need to let go of everything. Yeah. That you're hanging on tightly to on the shore. Yeah. Yeah. I like that one. The one that I think is BS, 
Yeah, I don't know. Too hard. It would have to be related to something like a woman can't do a surveyor's role or something like that. (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty BS, that that. one. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. Um, I remember. Go. I remember on LinkedIn there was something from, you know, 1894 saying that um, a woman couldn't, couldn't do the job of carrying the jigger up the hill on a really hot day. And I thought that was BS. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah. I'll agree to that one. I think I worked up until about not even a week before I gave birth to my last two children. So <laughs> I taught engineering students and I had some girls in the class and um, they were saying to me, oh, it's too hard. I can't do it. And I just turned around and went, I do not ever want to hear you say that again. <laughs> you can yep. do anything you put your mind to. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. I was going to ask a question about, do you think that uh, a degree is necessary? But um, in a way you've, you've explained that, well, it, it is because you need more of the licensed surveyors. Yeah, so you, it, I'll explain why a degree is important, and it doesn't mean that everyone has to have it, but it, it means that um, as you progress through your learning, there are things that you can and can't do depending on the level of education and the, um, the, the amount of post-education development that you're willing to go through. Yeah. So... so uh, you complete year 12 and because we have to understand that we are a STEM, which is science, technology, engineering, mathematics profession. Yeah. In fact, we're the ultimate STEM profession because we, we, we have parts of our profession that cover all four of those. Many of the other professions don't have that. They only deal with one of them. We actually deal with all of them. Mm. And so as STEM professionals, mathematics is a key part of it. And, so, you know, I'm, I'm not a great mathematician. I, I enjoy it. I, have, I, I like it. But when it comes to the higher mathematics, I struggle like many others. Yeah. So you've got to have year 12 to get that basic understanding of mathematics. Mm. You then go to university or to TAFE to get a greater understanding of how you apply that math- mathematics to a profession such as surveying. And, and you've got to understand some of that. So coordinate geometry is our life. Yes. If you don't understand coordinate geometry, you can't be a surveyor. Yeah. And, and so you've got to have those basic learnings. And um, when, when you get involved with assessing university degrees and you go, why do you do some of these things? Well, it's not just to create us into a surveyor, but it's to give us a broad understanding of all the things that we interact with. Mm-hmm. So in my university degree, we got to look at land valuation. We got to look at town planning. We got to look at geomorphology and geology. We did engineering and understanding of the processes of engineering in terms of compaction, uh, in, in terms of understanding hydrology and a whole range of things that we as surveyors have to have some knowledge of. Yeah. We don't have to be experienced in it. We don't have to be the most knowledgeable, but we need to have an understanding of it. And, and so a degree in surveying gives you this basic understanding of all these things 
And so when you finish your degree, in effect, you've got a base level understanding of surveying. Yeah. And people go, well, I'm qualified as a degree. Well, no, you're not qualified. You've got a degree which has given you a base level of learning. Your learning really starts once you leave the degree. And it took a while for me to understand that. Uh And it's the same with a license. You've got to go through the hard yards to understand the link between the legal and the physical and the the science of measurement to put that together to understand where a licence surveyor sits and to learn the lessons. And until you do that, you don't understand all of that and you can't understand that because you've got to put all that together. That's always learning and getting every little piece of the puzzle to get it all together. Yep. Mm. So once you become licensed, once again, your learning starts again because you've got a basic understanding of what a licensed surveyor does and then you actually have to enhance that to where you're understanding the more complex concepts. So, sure, I'm not going to say that someone can't go to TAFE and learn surveying and become a technician or a measurement. You know, they they can do the act of measurement, but it's understanding how you apply that measurement that is the more important, and that's where the role of the more senior surveyors and the licensed surveyors come in. Mm -hmm. So, yep, we need to have technicians. We need to have people who can go in the field and do the, the work, and this is where when we start talking about the future, this is where I see the change. And you can see the change from the past. So in the past, most of the surveyor's time was spent in the field doing the the measuring because it was a manually difficult task. Mm. All the modern technology such as EDM, if you call that it modern, (laughs) but GNSS, laser scanners, they're all technology that in effect is doing the measurement process. Yeah. And they're capturing the data. Yeah. And it's at the end of that, that someone's got to take that captured data and then apply the understanding of, well, how do we apply the error principles to the data that we've captured to ensure that we've got a statistically best result that we can get or that we can certify that within the degree of tolerance that legislation requires, this measurement is the best we've got. And then how do we apply that to the transaction of someone wanting to use that land for the benefit of our community? And that's that's where going beyond and doing the, the hard work to become a licensed surveyor gives you that overall perspective. Yeah. We, we are not just people that go out and measure. We're actually people that apply that measurement to producing more sustainable communities. Yeah. So do you regret your decision to become a surveyor? Never. <laughs> Love it. And when you embrace it in its its most broadest sense, and I always, when I go and give guest lectures at the university, I always get out the definition from the International Federation of Surveyors that describes yep. what a surveyor is. When you look at that definition, everyone in the surveying profession, in including geospatial scientists, if that's what they really want to call themselves, are really surveyors. And surveyors goes back a long way before any of these cool terms like geospatial scientists. You know, surveyors were around when the Egyptians were around. In fact, there's a funny story told by a high court judge that he said God was the first surveyor. So, you know, being a surveyor is probably, in my mind, the first profession. Talking about um, your task force, um, Mm. you have made a big impact in our industry um, 
getting kids into survey, promoting the industry to the educational sector. That's where I've worked with you. Um, women in industry, what drives you to promote these areas in the industry? Oh, well, look, I mean, the first thing I would say is it's not just me. I'm just very good at talking. Uh, and so I seem to get that role. But, you know, certainly the task force is a group of industry bodies. You know, the institution of surveyors in New South Wales, you know, has had just as large an impact, if not more, because of their role in the support of maths in surveying uh, as we have at ACS. Um, we just get the privilege of administering it. So hence we seem to be the ones known for it. But really the institution have added considerable value to that over many, many years. Um, and, uh, you know, as have others, uh, you know, uh, land registry services, um, the surveying and mapping industry council, country surveyors, um, there are so many people, you know, the public surveyors are involved as well. Um, and the roads, well, Transport for New South Wales have also recently gotten involved. So uh, it's been fabulous to see so many people come together from across the private and the public sector because our industry is in great need. And one of the things that's really interesting is we'll go to careers expos or we go into schools and we talk and we're one of the few industry groups that actually does that. Um, it's often the universities or the TAFEs that are out there promoting the study pathway, but nobody's actually promoting the career that comes after the study. And there's a lot of study involved in surveying. There's, there, you know, it can take many years to become registered, but the pathway is fabulous because you can work whilst you study. Mm -hmm. And I think that's been one of the great things. And, and for me, you know, again, it almost comes back to that history thing. Uh, you know, surveyors have been around since day dot measuring land for people to live on you know um you know surveying's talked about in the bible you know the children of israel crossed the jordan river and they had to measure out where each tribe would go and so uh you know surveying is so historical and i think that that's something that we need to talk about there aren't very many careers out there that have been around forever doctors nurses teachers surveyors you know, we've been around longer than architects. We were the original architects. We've been around longer than planners. We were the original planners. All of these professions are fairly new, whereas surveying has been around, as I said, since the day dot. All of our explorers originally were surveyors. And I think that surveying offers kids such a vast array of opportunities. And not just kids, but career changes as well because of the different areas of surveying. I mean, obviously, you know, we promote and I talk mostly about land surveying, but you can go into mine surveying, you can go into water, air. I mean, now we've got a space agency in Australia and some of that, the satellites and all those sorts of things all are connected back to the measuring point of a piece of a positioning somewhere on the earth or somewhere in space. And so, you know, all of that is connected. And, um, you know, the fact is that a lot of the data analysis and all of that that's big news these days all starts at a point that has to do with the land that we stand on, which comes down to a land surveyor. So I think the variety that we have in the profession makes it really fabulous and exciting for people to be a part of. Um, and the pathway to get there is fairly simple. You know, um, you know, there's a pathway through TAFE, there's a pathway through university. You can work in it for a couple of years before you decide which pathway you want to take. Um, we have 100% employment because there's such a shortage. You know, what, what other professions have guaranteed employment? Not yeah. many. 
So, you know, for, really for somebody who's not uh, a surveyor, you're pretty passionate about the industry. Yeah, well, you know, because, well, firstly, it's my job, don't tell anyone, <laughs> um, but it's my job to be passionate about the industry. Um, not that it says that in my position description, um, but, you know, I quickly learned when I first started uh, about three years ago with the association, um, I spent my first six months traveling around the state, visiting as many surveying firms as I possibly could. Mm -hmm. And you sit down and you listen to these surveyors who I describe as the salt of the earth. They're so humble. Um, you know, they, they are really connected to the earth in a way that nobody else is. Um, and, you know, to hear them talk about what they do and to be passionate about, about it uh, is really amazing. And because they are often quite humble and quiet and, don't promote themselves they've needed somebody to be passionate about it and to help them promote what they do because it's not their national not their natural inclination yeah, yeah. and so you know I, I think that it's my job to promote what we do as surveyors mm -hmm. what they do no, I'm not one what they do as surveyors. I mean don't even try to let me look through a total station I wouldn't even know what I was looking at um, <laughs> I, can't, I can't I have no spatial awareness at all I couldn't tell you how far, far, but you know, when they did the social distancing thing recently during the COVID pandemic, yeah. uh, it was like, you know, four metres, four square metres. What, what's that? I don't know. What's one and a half square metres or two metres different? I can't measure that, but a surveyor could, <laughs> yeah. you know, they know. My guys know that stuff. And so I think they need an advocate and I'm happy to be that advocate. Yeah, you're doing a fantastic job. What's the best work advice you've ever heard? Um, uh, yeah, always do your checks, <laughs> measure everything twice. Um, yeah. And before leaving a site, if you feel as though it's, if it's not quite right, you know, sort of that gut feeling of you know, trust your instincts. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, don't go into an area where you think that it may be unsafe. Um, certainly, you know, 25 years ago, the kind of things that we were doing were very dangerous compared yeah. to how we do things now. Mm. Uh, we didn't think too much about it at the time. Um, we sort of just went off and did what we had to do. Um, but, yeah, we were very heavily um, focused on safety, uh, particularly yeah. in, in the company here, and we encourage everyone that if you don't feel safe in an area, if you... Um, you know, if you if your gut instinct is saying that it's something's not right, then, then just to back away from it, and that has proved uh, to be really good advice, uh, not only for myself but some of my other colleagues here as well. Mm. Um, yeah, so yeah, just uh, trust your instincts. Cool. What's what motivates you? Um. um it's it's sort of changed, I guess, over time. Mm. Uh, the thing that gives me the most amount of joy in the workplace is to um, seeing everyone engaged, to see them um, all happy, uh, to see them working as a team. Um, there's uh, some things that we've we've been putting in place um, over the last couple of years to. Uh, to ensure that we have a, a good work environment for everyone so they can be at their best. Um, 
yeah, and just to see um, uh, smiles on people's faces and hear the banter and the jokes and things off in the office is um, is fantastic. So um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, it's just to uh, yeah, I, 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 over time we've been putting things in so that we can have a um, um, a more um, relaxed environment. I think that if people are uh, feeling a lot more relaxed in their environment, then become a lot more creative, mm -hmm. and um, and that was the catalyst we uh, of going through and changing our office around our, our orientations of all our desks. Um, we had a feng shui expert come into the office to um, help us um, align where everyone um, sits and um, and putting in lots of different plants and things around the place and um, breakout rooms for um, people to you know have time out and. Um, uh, we have a, a, a massage therapist uh, come into our office um, oh, for our staff. To... <laughs> <laughs> so, so these are all things to um, uh, to ensure that our our staff are working um, as best as they can be because they're in a much more relaxed environment. Um, uh, my wife uh, has introduced me um, to yoga. She's been doing her yoga teacher training mm -hmm. um, uh, last year. And so we've uh, introduced some, um, some yoga into our office as well. So it's only 11 o'clock every, uh, every day. Uh, everyone gets up and does some stretching and uh, moves around a little bit. And there's always a bit of a a joke and a bit of a banter that goes on around that as well but uh the fact that everyone's involved with it now and, and actually looks forward to it mm. and you know if it's 10 past 11 and somebody rings the bell and says you know well, are we doing this today or yeah. is it going to happen um uh obviously shows that people are enjoying that and uh, once again it um, puts smiles on their face and uh, yeah it's um it's working well and that gives me gives me a great amount of joy what made you think of doing vests <laughs> we were wearing some pretty interesting garbage for a while uh -huh. and it's when you start surveying you don't even really know what a high-vis vest is or how badly you need pockets yeah for certain things you know on any given day your vest could be eight to fifteen pounds uh -huh. and you could have a lot of expensive equipment in in your pockets you know and it kind of needs to stay there yeah nothing nothing should be ripping out so some of the ones that our bosses were buying us you just wear it you don't know the difference you just kind of work with it uh -huh. but it took me about a year and a half i think of wearing a vest every day surveying and i started just like this this thing is just it's not even hot orange it's not even bright it's like brand new is a rust orange mixed with some weird red <laughs> it was not it wasn't ANSI approved but it was a good heavy duty design yeah so I kind of started Frankensteining some designs together taking some aspects of some vests and adding them to other aspects and then kind of like tweaking it and adding weird things until I had what I thought was cool and then I'd show a bunch of surveyors and other people yeah in construction trades and say tell me what you don't like about it and tell me what you would change and I kind of collaborated with a bunch of other people's ideas until I had one prototype. And then I made it. And then I sold it to the police chief who watched me like Frankensteining vests together for months until I had one. And he's like, hey, 
is that that one you've been talking about? He's like, I'm buying that off you right now. That's mine. Oh, that's- and at that point, I was like, wow, I should, uh, maybe I should make like 20 at a time or something like that. And then it eventually just turned into a company. Yeah. It was not right. my plan to turn it into a company. It just happened. And, and for those that don't really know you, you said make 20 of them. So you were yeah. still making them? Oh, no, not anymore. I have lots of help. (laughs) (laughs) That would just be crazy. But you did, didn't you? Stop. Yeah. I couldn't get anybody else locally to even touch them. Mm. I had a small shop, but none of the people in that shop were even from the States. They're from all over the world. Uh So people would kind of give you, you know, they kind of flip you some garbage and be like, hey, you know, you know, where's my Made in USA label? Or, or why does it say made in China now? It's like, well, when it was made in the USA label, it was being made by people who don't even speak English that live in America. Not, you know, that doesn't matter. But where do you think all their money is going? <laughs> you know, it's like we live in this weird Walmart mentality of buying super, super cheap garbage and then throwing yeah. it away. Yeah. So I'm like, that's not how it works. And then I couldn't get anybody to buy these vests because making them here turned into be like a $200 USD vest, which is a lot. Which, yeah, it's pretty expensive. Yeah, when the other ones are selling for 30. Mm. Right? But the the ones that sell from 30 are not made in America. Like everything else is not made in America, Mm -hmm. you know? Some some stuff is, Mm. uh, but not that much when it comes to textiles. So then I couldn't even get anyone to make them anymore after the uh, economy bust. I'm like, here we go. So I had a business partner for a little bit and he's like, listen, I got these contacts all over the world. Let me start, you know, talking to them. And then bam, all of a sudden I had some help overseas doing some small projects and um, the same place for Nike and Nordstrom was making their stuff, started making my vests and they had never made a vest before. Okay. They were really excited because it was something completely new. Yeah. Because they've been making the same stuff for years. And mm-hmm. got, I guess they were bored. They'd never done high vis. They've never played with scotch, scotch light, 3M striping, reflectivity, yes. xenon testing, ANSI certifications. They never mess with any of that stuff. Mm. But yeah. then neither did I. So it was a big <laughs> learning experience. <laughs> Holy cow. They make it hard for you to figure things out. I was going to say, so uh, there's always, if there's a will, there's a way, huh? Uh, yeah, I guess I'm being just kind of stubborn. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that too then. <laughs> you have to have some sort of a drive. But the good thing is that they're all over the world now, your safety apparel vests. This is true. Yeah. This is true. And not just or construction. They're getting used in other industries or um, for all different sorts of, sorts of things. There's some out there that don't have stripes on them that people are wearing for hunting. Uh-huh. Um, I have met homicide detectives. I just met a plumber on a job site on one of my job sites. I saw my dude walk by with my vest and I was like, Hey, can I take your picture? What, you know, what trade are you? Are you a surveyor? No, I'm a plumber. I'm a union plumber. I'm like, okay, cool. That's a rad vest. He's like, yeah, I love this vest. My buddy bought it for me because he loves this vest. I was like, I'm the guy who designs it. He's like, wow, can I take your picture? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I got to send this to my buddy. He's not going to believe this. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. 
this is too weird. I'm like, I'm trying to get your picture, just put it on the internet, and he wants to take my picture. I'm like, that's just too funny. That is funny. I did see that picture of the plumber with your vest on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I know I chased him all over the job site. You could see I was creeping him from a distance in those from the story. Talking about from the storyline, right? <laughs> yeah. I was like, so I'm like, oh, there's my party chief. And then there's another one. So I'm like, PC, PC. I'm like, oh, there he is. There he is over there. And then I hunted him down. I'm like, there's the plumber. <laughs> <laughs> and this guy's probably going, oh, what's this guy doing? <laughs> oh, totally. I've had a lot of conversations like that. Yeah. How do you go managing a business then? Like, so did, did you ever think that you would be an owner of a business? No, I never thought I would. Um, and like I said, it just sort of happened. Yeah. Um, I think I've, it's pretty difficult um, managing the workflow. And yeah. I'm all right at managing the staff. But, yeah, it, it, it was a juggle at first, but I, I'm getting on top of it. But, the, yeah, like I said, there's a lot of work on. So um, it, it, it's the most difficult thing is saying no to work. Yeah. And not trying to do too much. And then, uh, yeah, not trying to burn out on staff. Yeah, that yeah, that's difficult. So, are you going out in the field then? Um, I know I'm probably in the field maybe one or two days a week. Because mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, it would be difficult trying to manage the business and the staff and the workflows and all that kind of stuff being yeah. out in the field all the time. Yeah, a lot of times just spent like quoting, um, doing QA on jobs, yeah. client like clients. Yeah. Like, where would you rather be? Oh, from in the field. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> would I rather be in the field? Just for those that may want to uh, start a business. <laughs> there's, yeah. a, there's a lot of paperwork. <laughs> there's a lot of, a lot of paperwork. <laughs> so you, uh, in your statement on your website, says that... Um, that you're supporting Indigenous Australians um, with employment and education opportunities. Um, yeah. I know we had a, a, a small conversation a few years ago regarding this. Um, how are you going about that and what sort of things are you trying to do or achieve in that space? Yeah, so we're always looking for more Indigenous staff, which is yeah. pretty hard to come by. Um, but we also work with like Indigenous communities and other Indigenous businesses. So recently we were out in Walgett um, working on two Indigenous mi- missions, um, trying to doing some work for a program called Roads to Home, um, mm-hmm. just trying to fix up some infrastructure um, in the communities. So we do a lot of work um, for, for Indigenous communities, but also Indigenous businesses like ourselves. So there's a lot of Indigenous businesses in construction yeah. um, who do work for like Aboriginal housing um, and and I, yeah, so we try and get involved with that kind of stuff as much as we can. Yeah, I noticed a couple of um, posts that you had on LinkedIn about uh, being out in, in some of the communities doing some of the work. Um, yeah. So that, that sort of brings me to my next thing that I noticed today was about um, that you're going to start incorporating uh, key cultural information into your surveys. Yeah, so... pretty interesting. <laughs> Yeah, I've done a lot of research on it and it hasn't, there's not much around um, in the sense of joining um, Indigenous heritage studies with our, our work. Um, and I think it's really important that um, that gets done so when planners are doing their work, they can 
incorporate where these um, like significant heritage sites are. Um, and I think there was something in the media recently with a, a big company, which I won't name. Um, yeah, so that's something that we, <laughs> we sort of want to push. And if anyone um, has any ideas on that, they can reach out to me. That would be awesome. Yeah, no, I, um, that was actually just by luck I saw that today and I thought, oh, that's something really interesting and, and, and a great thing to do to start trying to bring all of that information together. Yeah, and I think with the technology that's available, it, it can be done quite easily. Yeah. Um, yeah, do that. Yeah. That's interesting. Good. Um, okay, so we'll move away from the books. What motivates you? Um, I'd probably say definitely money, yeah. for one. Yeah. Um, also, uh, the progression of our, our staff is mm-hmm. and seeing how far they've come. Yeah, that's nice. That's nice to have a boss that um, actually does care about about their employees and seeing seeing them grow. Yeah, no, it's good. It's it's rewarding. Yeah, nice. What's your guilty pleasure? <laughs> oh, I'm going to let the cat out of the bag. Um, my partner knows this, but sausage rolls on the road. <laughs> I, I can't I can't feel up and not get one <laughs> a sneaky sausage roll eh yeah yeah <laughs> oh dear what's motivated you throughout the years I guess everything that I've ever done motivation has been to be the best I can at it uh My standard of being the best may not have been someone else's standard. They could could have done this better, but it's always been, well, if I'm going to get in and have a go at this, I'm going to have a go at it, you know? And and if that meant I've got to learn from other people, well, so be it. You Mm. you can't just be born with this reservoir of skills and abilities. Mm. You learn from other people. So that has probably been my motivation and the other motivation has been the long-term one that well now I've acquired these skills in a fashion I don't want to keep them all to myself I want to share them with others you know that's my mentoring motivation if if you wish Mm. Uh, yeah so that it's about as philosophical as an answer that I can <laughs> with it's nice to have people who who want to give back and who want to to help mentor younger surveyors yeah. and help guide them and and help them grow in in getting their um their career on track and yeah yeah well just for example um one of the first things I got involved with the institution in 2006, myself and several others instituted, instituted and started there the cadastral workshops that they offered. Oh, being, okay. Being the theory and the plan check. And this Saturday, we're having a plans checking session. Mm-hmm. These are for the candidates that will go for the next round of boards exams. Yeah. COVID's made that interesting. Tomorrow, on Saturday, we've got people coming to Sydney 
we've established another little clump yeah. <laughs> here in Newcastle. Mm -hmm. We've got some surveyors doing some mentoring in the ACT and in Goulburn. Oh, wow. Uh, what has been part has delighted me about that is we've still been able to provide for these candidates, yeah. but I've been delighted at the mentors in these areas that have put their hand up to help. Mm. That's pretty bloody good. This is a yeah. good mob to be part of. Yeah. Know? Yep. Yep. Most definitely. Um, yeah. It's so nice to see that they're, they're getting in there and, and, and doing the job. What, uh, What's your guilty pleasure? Uh, ice cream. Any flavour? All flavours. <laughs> there's, there's no such thing as bad ice creams. Some are just better than others. <laughs> My old man used to say that about beer, which oh. I'll probably still endorse, but I eat ice cream. Um, I do like rum and raisin. Oh, that's one of my favourites. Mm. Mm. Uh, and macadamia. I like macadamia as well. Yes. Yes. <laughs> How has last year kind of affected you and, and your staff and the company and everything? Yeah, it was, I mean, what was difficult about it is it got to the stage that we were in full lockdown. Yeah. We had a, we had a permit system in Victoria where we have to fill out a, a form for every job the guys were going to go to. So, um, we'd have to work out what they're going to do the next week. Yeah. We could only go to three sites per week. Okay. So as you know, you know, some surveys get around to three a day. Yes. So then I'd, I'd write up what they're going to do. I'd be in the, in the office. I'd divert all the office phones to my mobile just in case I was somewhere else. Mm -hmm. All I could be is at home or in the office. But yeah. I'd be on the phone all day. I'd have people working from home. So admin staff working from home. If they were looking after the subdivisions, they'd send an email out to the client. Sure enough, the client would ring up the office and get me and say, what's this? So then I'd be on the phone reading the email straight back to them and they go, oh, that makes sense. Oh. <laughs> so, yeah. So that went on for three or four months. I think it was three months. Um, so, yeah, you'd, I'd get everyone ringing up and then you'd get trying to coordinate guys at home. It's just getting systems in place. I mean, it was hard at first. You'd get people ring up saying, oh, I've got about an hour's worth of work left. Well, wouldn't you have known that yesterday you didn't have a lot of work? So then you're scratching around trying to find stuff for them to do. And uh, it was difficult, difficult to check plans. Um, but to their credit, they really got it together. Um, started emailing each other, put me on a, an email as well. We had a group of Excel where people had put in what they're doing and we Instead of me ringing up who's doing this or that, you could see it was on the spreadsheet. Which oh, that's a good initiative, yeah. Yeah, so it helped get systems in place. Yeah. But I've... to check a plan on the screen, you can't you can't check plans on the screen. You've got to print it out, spread no, it all over it. I agree. I agree totally. I'm, yeah. You know, I sort of sit there sometimes and, you know, whether I'm doing a tender or whether someone wants to look at wants me to look at something or, you know, whatever it is, I've got to print it out. Yeah. And and physically look at it and scan it and have my highlighters or the pen or, you know, something yep. to, to, to systematically go through it. It just does not work on a computer screen. Yep. Same as people working out uh, boundaries. We call them the dots down here. Um, you know, the old surveyors will say, write it up, put red pen on, put your cuts on it, let us know, and it just hits you in the face. But if yep. you're looking, 
click, 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 click on AutoCAD or whatever package they're using. It's, you forget what the fourth click was, you know. You, it's just a lot easier to see it and it, it hits you in the face, you know. Mm, yeah. Still got to do it. And, and to, we've got a profession where you need to mentor people. Yes. And, and to mentor people over the phone or over Zoom, it's not easy. So they need to be in there in the office and you've got to, you've got to look after people too and make sure they're okay and, and doing doing all right because it was a challenging time for everybody. Yeah. So, it's yeah. even like, you know, even when you have a Zoom meeting, you just, like you might see that person and you're having yeah. a conversation, but it's still not that personal contact kind of, you can read a body language or, you know, the, you know, you're kind of seeing from the chest up and that's it. You, you can't tell. You can't what, read the room. Yeah. You can't read the room on a Zoom meeting. Yeah. 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 It's, so it's that good, would have been good different. to get everyone together. Mm. So is everyone back in the office now? Yeah, I've got, as of today, one fellow that I think he said he hasn't been there for eight months. Wow. Um, he's in his 70s, 73, 74. Uh -huh. um, he, he was back in today. And, geez, it was good to have him back in too. Uh, <laughs> he's just, and he's, he's, it's great. He checks all our plans because the titles office, he does it with a calculator. doesn't know how to use the computer that we use. Yeah. Checks it. What we send into the titles office is what they check. So that's how he checks it. And it's really good. And it's good just to have him in there to mentor the younger guys. Um, it's otherwise, you know, if I'm on the phone or whatever, it's, it's a little bit hard. So it's nice to have another. Well, I've got two other license guys in there. So, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah I think that would be difficult uh, as, a, as a business owner, making the time to do that mentoring to the younger yeah. surveyors because you have this business where everybody wants everything from you and they want it now and they just want your time all the time. Yeah. Yeah, they do. And and it was that was part of the reason of buying the business in 2019. I, it, the story with that one, I actually went to a parent-teacher interview on the way back, knocked on this guy's door, this surveyor's door. I'd never met him before. And I said, look, we're missing out on jobs because I don't have enough staff, but I haven't got enough work to put more staff on. Yeah. Do you want to share a few staff? He goes, yeah, that'd be a good idea. And just before I left, I said, look, if you ever want to sell, let me know. And his broker rang me the next day. It had been for sale and I didn't know about it. So, oh, okay. So the, the whole reason of getting him in is to say, hey, I know you're passionate about your surveying. He's a very good surveyor. Yeah. And he was getting to the stage, I guess he didn't have a succession plan. Well, I said, how about I deal with the clients and the people that want a piece of you all the time and the councils and you come back and mentor the young fellas and teach them. And it's been really good. It was it was hard at first because he was at home. So then I've got everyone at home and he was he was, he was was good. He was talk, calling people and, and doing everything right like that. But it's better mm -hmm. to have him back in the office now. I think it's good to, to have those older surveyors to do that. Um, you know... Surveyors don't want, well, I say they don't want to retire, so surveyors don't retire. <laughs> no, they expire. They, yes, they just they keep do. going and going and going. And, and to me, it's more, they don't need the money. They love doing it. It, it is yeah. their, it's their life. Um, and to yeah. be able to pass their knowledge on to a younger generation, you know, whether it is people in their 50s, 30s, 20s, whatever it may yeah. be, they're just happy to do that. They're happy to do it, yeah. Mm. And, 
and it, it's very helpful for me to, to take the pressure off me too. So yeah. I can, and they like it too. They'll go, hey, you ring this person? Yeah, yeah, I can do that. So it, it mm. works quite nice. It mm. helps everybody. So out in the field, you must have some stories to tell. Well, it's interesting. Yeah, well, well I mean, there's the there's the obligatory snake stories because we we get a few um, <laughs> snake stories. And in Port Macquarie, it's a bit swampy, so so we we've got all that really quite hilly bits, but then we fall down onto the swamp in Port Macquarie almost universally. So we're either building something nicely on top of some red dirt, or in the later years we've been down in the swampy stuff. Um, and uh, crawling through the swamp, measuring lines through the swamp is. Uh, is a real experience, but fortunately I didn't have to do that. So, I, but I do, I do remember sending one of my particular registered surveyors through a swamp, and he, and he, and he got, he bought those fishing waders, you know. So, um, <laughs> and he, and he had to travel through to the swamp with uh, basically up to his waist in, uh, in water. So, that was a difficult one. I've got the obligatory story about and it was way back when it was actually out at Camden when I was working for uh, Craig and Rhodes, and about that time there was a lot of uh, immigrants from Vietnam, so I think it was from Vietnam. Anyone, one of those Asian countries, and and at the time they were called boat people. So and then this guy came over, and Rithi was his name, and uh, he he'd had a bit of survey experience, so we took him on as a field hand. Um, and we had so we were doing um, some traversing, and and um, we had I, I, he headed him over in this direction, and he walked across this damn wall, right? So and it was a hot day. And guess what was on the damn wall? So um, he saw a snake for the first entire time in his life because there's no snakes in his original country. <laughs> so uh, he promptly threw that guppy, top con guppy, about six metres in the air. And I was I was at the other end and I watched the top con guppy smash on the top of the damn wall because he was scared of a snake. So that was the funniest snake story I ever, I, I ever witnessed from that point of view. Um, yeah. Well, there's plenty of stories from the field. I mean, look, one of the one of the things about being a surveyor is you get to go in the field. I mean, even if you're, you know, that that's one bit of advice that I've got for you is that even if you are a manager, get out in the field. And I tell this to the guys, you know, that are doing the candidate workshops, get out in the field. If you're confused about something, go and walk the site, you know, and just get a feel for it, which is, which is not, always possible i understand but whenever you can just walk the site and you'll end up with a better result if you know what's going on in mm. the field and we always did that with design when we got stuck with design we'd uh we'd just throw our hands in the air and just go and walk around and measure a few things and come up with a the solution actually in the field um and uh it, it's almost always my advice to anybody to, to don't just do it on a sheet of, sheet of paper get out there and, and go and walk the site if you can um because it, you uh, you get an insight into what that particular layer of land is and how it all works, and how you and if you're a if you're a surveyor, which um, which is one of the great parts of surveyors, they can look at stuff in three dimensions and they can actually figure out how it's going to look at the end of the day before it, before it even gets designed. So, yeah. and I suppose we did that before three dimensional um, imaging now, but that's how we sort of did it in the old days. Um, mm. We we visualised it in our mind and we're pretty good at that. And that's why we uh, we did a lot of engineering design uh, over the years. So, um, yeah, funny stories. I don't know. It's, it's a lot. 
Yeah. So we got, I don't know if I was the funny guy. We, we tend to, uh, tend to get a bit serious at work and always got in trouble for being too serious and, and not lighthearted enough. Um, or everybody th think I was grumpy and, but I was really just thinking about things, you know? So I'm, I'm a bloke who tries to s try and solve problems uh -huh. like immediately. Um, and it's I, another piece of advice I give people. Sometimes you can't solve problems. Don't try and solve them. So just talk it out with somebody else who knows more. Um, and often what, what I have learned is we can't do everything as surveyors. We try and do everything. Um, and particularly in the areas of marketing and, and business development, we need some help from that point of view. And we need to engage those professionals, those specialists. And if we do that, we will we'll benefit from that. We, we can... We can um, filter it, we can uh, put our spin on it, but we need to engage them and get, get the best out of them to, uh, to allow us to, to make our businesses thrive and survive, really. Mm. Um, yeah, so, um, and that's, you know, we talked about, we talked before about, you know, the ups and downs in the industries and what, yeah. what we never really did was, um, talk about w the the potential influence that I think surveyors can have in their community um, at a committee level. You know whether that's a committee for um, you know getting a new path on the street, or or whether it's uh, being a local councillor, or um, or you know advising your state parliament member or your federal parliament member. So you got the job at Leica, mm -hmm. just selling the scanning equipment or what yeah effectively what? I was like I was like um I think I, I was called a project engineer which sounds very very fancy I think my, my people always used to laugh at me because I think it was U, UK high definition survey project engineer uh -huh. like, they're like what's that you're not an engineer you're an archaeologist <laughs> <laughs> like well and actually it you know it meant just that it was it was you you were engineering projects effectively you right. were you were effectively a sales engineer yeah right? but um it was really interesting because obviously i had really old clunky kit that i had to sell back in the day in 2007 no. <laughs> so it was a it was initially it was the scan station, which was the scan station and then two batteries and then the tripods and the targets and all the boxes. And I had this massive estate car, which looked like a hearse <laughs> to carry all this stuff around in. And then every night I had to lug it back in from the hearse into my house. And that, back then I lived in this little two up, two down, like kind of little cottage thing. Oh, with, yeah. With no space. My wife used to be furious. She's like, what the hell is all this stuff in the house? <laughs> and then I've gone from that to see in the scan station two, then the C10, then the P series and the RTC and then the BLK to go. So everything's just got smaller and smaller and smaller to the yes. point now where you've got sales guys, you know, jumping on trains and uh, or putting stuff in their backpacks. And, yep. uh, you know, that is that is normality. So to see that progress is really, really exciting. And to be part of that progress and growing the business was really mm. exciting as well. It, it, yeah, it would be a massive difference for that 14 years of, of how things have changed in technology yeah. and the things that they can do with with it all now it's um I, I think what's interesting to me as well is you don't realize the speed of change yes. until you look back and just and just take stock and go wait a second only 14 years ago 
or whatever i was running around with a, a, an instrument which did you know four thousand points per second and now i've got an instrument in my hand that i could walk around and collect in data in real time and i'm collecting four hundred twenty thousand points a second uh it's just you know and also the design ethic and just everything's just everything felt very kind of you know for want of a better word amateur at the beginning it was kind mm -hmm. of Yes, it was a product, but it was kind of thrown together in this big box. And now everything is now, you know, if you look at the design of the BLK 360 or the BLK to go, everything's very sleek and They're sexy very, yeah, smooth and, and kind of Apple-esque. And uh, yeah, it's, 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 sorry, I'm just trying to get move some more stuff off my screen here, Peter, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Peter, sorry. Um, but yeah, I think it, what, what was really interesting to me as well, I don't know whether you found this in your career, I don't know, you know what, what your background is, but I never thought I'd be with a business this long. Ah, okay. Yeah. Like, because, you know, it was always, when I was younger, it was like you had a career, you know, my dad had a career and my dad was with the civil service for 40 years. And I always used to think 40 years with like one organization. Yes. How do you deal with that? You know, but actually, you know, I've been here 14 years and, it, and it's gone so fast. Um, and I've held so many different roles and done, had so many opportunities that you kind of just, you forget about the time and then you look back and realize the progress that's been made mm. uh, and then the friends that you kind of made or they've moved on and but the one thing that i will say about Leica is the number of people who stay here for the long haul yeah. know, there's a lot of people who have been here a very very long time um, i guess it goes to show um you know they're obviously a good company to their employees um the the technology that they're always wanting to find that next new thing so it keeps people engaged and and things like that I, you know that that's how i would see it anyway yeah i think i think that we we all know you know there's this kind of effectively this team which is looking after the blk products uh, you know very disruptive uh, very agile everyone you know in inverted commas agile but mm -hmm. you know having agile software teams and having agile hardware teams and moving in the direction of the market very very quickly that's that's how you build success mm. um you still have your standard you know your standard project products like your, your, your total stations and your gps and everything but ultimately, yeah, you've got these very disruptive products and um, sort of uh, quite sparky. Yeah, they're kind of yeah. happening left, right and centre. And some things just come out of left field entirely, you know, like um, the BLK 24-7. You know, mm -hmm. I, yeah, I'm sure a very, very, only a very small percentage of people knew about that. But, you know, have it like a moving into the market of creating security sensors from the LiDAR technology that have been developed for the BLK 360 and BLK to go. It just you didn't see it coming. Mm. But, you know, that's created a whole new market, a whole new ecosystem, a whole new software workflow. You need more salespeople, different sales tactics, you know, and then it just creates a whole, it busts open a whole new market. Yeah. So I think, I think you I think you're right, Peter. It's, um, it is that kind of innovation keeps people in because they know that they're with probably, you know, they know that they're with the, the best of the best and, mm. and why, why move effectively. Yeah. yeah. How, how did you go um, having the background that you've got going into a scanning, well, into the scanning section of this big company and learning? Did you know much about, and I know you're not just for the surveying, but that's a big part of it, um, the surveying sector when it comes to the scanning software, um, the scanning mm -hmm. equipment and all that sort of stuff. Did you have to learn a lot about our side of the industry to be able to um, 
sell to the surveyors or sell to I, the I, do you know what I absolutely did I had to learn hard and fast and I made some really epic failures earlier on in the in the in the game uh-huh. I had one conversation one conversation stands out with me and I was talking to I won't name him but I was talking to a guy who's is very very he's a very well-known surveyor in the UK and um, we were talking and I went to show him this scanner and he was asking about scale factors Okay. And I just and I just didn't have a clue what he was talking about. And mm-hmm. I just and I just went. I, I had to admit I, I don't know what you're talking about. I really and, and he was just like scale factors. Come on and like looked at me like I was an idiot. And I was because I was an idiot because I didn't know um, about scale factors. And then um, you know a couple of other conversations. You know I I'd done simple kind of traversing and basic surveying as part of archaeology. You know, yes. But with you know, we'd done leveling and bits and pieces. But yeah. we'd learned some pretty old techniques for surveying actually to be honest um but yeah i'd had i have a, had a couple of conversations but then you start talking about you know control and you start talking about you know uh, traversing and linking it into control networks and all these discussions and and um yeah i had to learn fast yeah mm-hmm. uh, and and i luckily luckily for me i had some great colleagues i had tim who, who was the sales manager yeah and uh, who was my colleague Stephen Ramsey um, yeah, for a colleague for a long time and they both taught me an awful lot because they were both surveyors you know Tim ah, was an okay. old school surveyor and Steve used to work for um, a big surveying firm down in London mm-hmm. so a lot of the my reference points for surveying and everything came from those guys but you know I, I would I would never consider myself a surveyor mm. you know never you know I could like you wouldn't send me out with a total station to go and do a topographic that's not me but, you know, if you send me out with a scanner, a Pegasus, a BLK to go, or maybe even a UAV, I've got the skill sets to, to bring that back together. But if you were then to say, you know, how do you, you know, what about the control points for that job? Well, I know how to do it. Yes. I know how to apply it, but you wouldn't send me out with a tail station to do it necessarily. Um, and I think what's interesting is there's a lot of people like me out there who aren't traditional surveyors. No. Um, and there are a lot of people coming into the industry who are what I would consider kind of re- reality capture specialists. They're not yeah. surveyors. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, you do still need the trained surveyors. And that's what we're finding now. You know, that's why there's various initiatives. You know, you look at like um, Get Kids Into Survey. Yeah. Is we, you still need that understanding. Um, and, uh, you know, those people who are trained surveyors are well positioned to do very well for themselves in the future because they'll stand out. And that's why we see such an influx of people from Europe into the UK surveying market, because there's not many schools offering it in the UK. Of course, another um, funny thing to happen. Warnervale Airport, which is in the Central Coast, they wanted to... No, it wasn't the airport. There was a brick factory up the road from uh, Warnervale. They wanted to extend their... Um, um, operation and they had a chimney on the on their um, brick kiln. Mm-hmm. Anyway, they wanted to make this chimney higher, <clears throat> but before they get approval to do that, there had to be the relationship between the end of the runway and the top of this um, brick chimney had to be determined, so you could see how far off the line of the runway was and what the difference in height was. Yeah. So fortunately, that was a fairly easy thing to do, even with the technology that was available back then, because. Uh, you had a direct line of sight from the end of the runway to the top of this tower. Basic trick, yep. Yep, so it was pretty simple stuff, really. Um, so I'm on the jigger, and I'm set up on the end of this runway, and for all intents and purposes, the runway was shut. The airport was shut. The um, thing had been booked in two weeks in advance, 
uh, when we arrived, we went and saw the traffic control and told him, you know, confirmed that we're there to do what we're doing. Yeah. And he effectively shut the runway. Mm-hmm. He said, there's nobody around anyway. There's just a few uh, light aircraft out there just, um, you know, doing some repairs or whatever. Anyway, um, so I'm set up in the middle of the runway about maybe 70 or 80 metres from the end of the runway because if you, if you got right at the end of the runway, you couldn't see the brick chimney. Yeah, yeah. 70 or 80 metres back, you could. And I'm just sighting down the middle of the runway. I'm reading um, uh, angles and vertical angles and, and measuring because we can actually measure with the targets uh, to the top of this chimney. Anyway, this guy comes out of uh, one of the hangars and he goes right down the far end of the runway and he turns around <coughs> and I saw him and I thought... Um, Oh, he's just testing his motor or something. This, this won't be anything. Anyway, so he starts coming up the runway. He starts coming up the runway. And he starts coming up the runway. Oh. And all of a sudden, at the last minute, I thought, this guy's actually going to take off. <laughs> so I've just bolted off the side of the runway and dived in the dirt on the side of the runway. And the plane took off. And I reckon the wheels, you know, went over the top of the jigger by maybe, I don't know, two, three metres. Um Probably if you had a stage, it was probably quite safe, but I wasn't prepared to take that yeah, chance. So no. I'm right. <laughs> anyway, so Keith, I forget what Keith was doing exactly, but he, he wasn't on the runway. He was off to one side and he's seen all this. And he came from around and he said, what are you doing? So I explained it all to him. You know what he was dirty about? He was dirty about that I didn't grab the jigger and yes. take it off with. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah don't forget. worry about your life. Just yeah. worry about the yeah. equipment. <laughs> Yeah, so when he fell on the creek, I didn't. I, I laughed. <laughs> that was about three days later. <laughs> oh, karma. <laughs> hmm. No, I could, I could. If I was ever going to write a book, it'd be on the funny things that happened in Spain. Because oh my god, I've seen some funny things. Yep, yep. There's uh, there has been some some funny stories, and I think uh, it's probably would you'd get a good book out of it. I reckon. <laughs> well, I would, and I and I love hearing other guys tell their funny stories too. Don't worry. Yeah, yes. I got electrocuted when I was like eight months pregnant or something, doing a survey. Eight or nine months pregnant. Really? <laughs> what two forty volts on electric fence? Two forty volts on the electric fence. We we had to climb through. But um, I didn't quite fit through properly, and yeah, I got a bit of a zap happening. So, how old's that child now? Uh, he's nearly twenty. He's okay. Okay, he's normal. Yeah, he, he doesn't yeah. walk around like vibrating or anything. No. Ah, uh, he's normal. Yeah, that was <laughs> that. That was a, a yeah. That was a bit of a shock. That one. Pardon the pun. Yeah, pardon the pun. Trudging through through paddocks and yeah, through creeks and all this sort of stuff and my boss carrying the instrument and I'm carrying the lighter stuff and having to climb through things and yeah, it's uh it's funny when you look back at it. I went to the doctor and you know, went for a check up and everything and I was like Um I got electrocuted by a fence. Do, do you think everything will be okay? <laughs> <laughs> like did it hurt and I went oh it just gave me a little zap so it didn't it I don't know it didn't have a real big bang or anything so he was like oh I think you'll be fine <laughs> like oh phew 
Yeah, but th- those low tree fences, they vary. Like the ones that are um, run off solar or or 12-volt battery or something, they can they can hurt. But even one that's sort of run off a 240-volt system, they are supposed to be transformed down to 12 volts like, like the rest of them. Mm. But I find if I get hit by one of those, they hurt a lot more. I mean, I've one made me do cartwheels one day. I was actually on the stick and um, there was a side fence and I was getting a shot right on the fence. I didn't realise it was an electric fence. Yeah, right yeah. On my shoulder. It, um, um, halfway through getting the shot, bang, it hit me. I thought the horse next door had kicked me. I actually did a cartwheel sideways. Oh. So I don't know if somebody had deliberately um, upped the ante on that one or, or what, but that was probably the most... Um, mm powerful hit I ever got and I did a dead set cartwheel sideways when it hit me in the shoulder. Felt like a horse had kicked me. That's what that yeah. one felt like. Uh, it wasn't that bad for me so I'm probably very lucky. <laughs> well I've got lots of 12 volt ones too in, in farms and things so I know what they feel like. They're not mm. necessarily positive. But... And the other thing about fences and surveys is snakes have learned that if they're in the middle of a paddock they're a target for a bird but if they walk right underneath the fence it's very hard for a bird to get them. So by evolutionary process, snakes have, le- snakes have learned to walk under fences. Mm-hmm. Where do surveyors spend half their time? <laughs> Near boundaries, which often have fences on. So I reckon surveyors run into snakes far more often than anybody else that oh. works in a rural Yeah, No doubt about it. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've been pretty lucky. I think I've seen like one or two. I've hardly come across any snakes. Um in the time that really? I was. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, uh, we've done a few rural jobs and stuff. <coughs> but, yeah, even those ones really didn't come across, and whether it was just the wrong time of year or I don't know. So, yeah, I think, I've been we, very lucky. And I know you've interviewed BJ Hammonds before. Yeah. BJ and I were doing a rural job one day, and we started walking down towards this creek. And the further we got down, the steeper it got, and it just got steeper and steeper and steeper and steeper and steeper until it got to the point where all of a sudden we both lost our footing mm. um, and we slid down this hill. It was just like out of control, all the survey equipment, jiggers, GPS, um, everything, bag of pegs, axes, sliding down the hill like an avalanche. Mm-hmm. And we were side by side. And all of a sudden there was this, you were sliding down incredibly steep and there was a flat ledge of rock. And as we approached this flat ledge of rock, we could see there was a black snake on it. And the black <laughs> snake's looking at us. It's looking up the hill at us, coming down like an avalanche at it. The black snake was absolutely horrified. You wouldn't think a snake's got eyes like saucers, but it did. Anyway, somehow we slid across this ledge of rock and we just flopped off the other side and, and slid down the last, I don't know, 10 or 15 metres and ended up in the, in the river at the bottom. Oh, no. Anyway, so we got there and we're sort of patting ourselves down and we look at the equipment to see what's broken. Somehow, by some miracle, um, apart from a few grazers, neither of us had much in the way of injuries. Yeah. The equipment's all intact and we're double-checking ourselves to try and figure out if we'd been bitten by this snake or not. <laughs> we hadn't, but we don't know what happened to the poor snake. We reckon he's still in therapy somewhere. <laughs> These two blokes just sliding down a hill. <laughs> Needless to say, we didn't walk out that way. We walked up the creek and found another way out. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's, but um... on that job, that's another interesting thing that happened. We were we were um, trying to do the creek traverse by getting shots in the middle of the uh, the river. We had a bit of access to the sky with the GPS. Yeah. 
and but then you had to get offsets to the bank. Mm-hmm. And I walked over the bank in you know probably meter deep water, and I just held out the tape and it was just talking about the straw that broke the camel's back. There was a, there was a log that had just been somehow just sitting on the edge of the bank. It had been sitting there for years, and I just touched it, and it rolled off <laughs> and it landed on me, and it pushed me out of the water. And um, fortunately, my head was above the water. But BJ had to put all the gear down and with all the strength that the Peribus possessed, we were just able to um, lift this log enough to get me out from underneath it. But if the water had been, I don't know, half a metre deeper, I probably yeah. would have drowned that day. Yeah. It's... And I, you can have all the WHS systems in the world. I do not know. I've often thought about this. What could have been done different to mm. stop that happening? Because it was just a log covered in moss on the side of the bank that just looked like it had been there forever, probably had. Yeah, just one little touch on it and loosen it, and bang, it fell on me. Mm. Yeah, you just never know what uh, what can happen out there, and safety is very, very important. But yeah, there's just certain things you can't control, is there? Well, I don't, like I said, I, for love of money, I do not know how I could have done that any different. Yeah, geez, you were lucky. I was. Yeah. Very much so. But I've always felt that I've been very lucky in a whole bunch of things, and that's just one. <laughs> well, you're one of those people. Everything good <laughs> always happens. <laughs> Not always, but the good far outweighs the bad. Yeah, that's nice. So what motivates you? Oh, what motivates me? I don't know. Um, i got this thing that I just like to help people all the time and um, um, that's probably it. I just feel like I want to help people. When clients ring me and they want something done, it's I don't suddenly think, oh, I can make money out of this. I, I think, oh, I can help this person and get on with it. And that's exactly what brings me undone with everything else because I want to help people on the HIA. So, oh, yeah, no, you're a real helpful guy. Well, you just move up the ladder and you're a helpful guy. You get on council. You're a helpful guy, you'd be deputy mayor. So um, it's that, I don't know, it's a weird thing. I, I just get a, a kick out of helping people, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm the same. I'll do I'll do whatever I can to help somebody. If I can see that I've got something that can help them achieve their goals or get to where they want to get to, I'm quite happily the first one in to to help them do it and see them succeed. What's the best work advice that you've ever heard? Um, ever heard? Not sure, but I mean, I could certainly give some advice. Um, no, that's okay, go ahead. <laughs> I think one thing that's missing a lot in the workplaces these days is is, is an understanding of what's uh, by, by, by a lot of employees or what what is an important aspect of the job that their senior managers are doing. And what I mean by that is what really matters to the organization and yep. then seeing yourself and how you can contribute towards that, how you can contribute towards that overall vision and where, where management sees the, the organization going. I think that's quite important to have your, your personal career aspirations in line with the business is seeking. Um, and if you don't have that, then you should either find a different career or, or just be content with what you're doing for, for a prolonged period of time. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I guess with that, it, it, it's also um, 
plays on the the management as well to to clearly um, explain to the people in the company where they fit and why they want them to do the things that they're doing as well. Exactly. I think more the workplaces could do a lot lot better with two-way communication. Yeah. The management and um, and staff. So yeah, yeah, I fully fully agree with that. Mm. Um, I think that's the only way to really achieve success if everyone's on the same wavelength. Yep. All right. Um, what's the worst work advice you've ever heard? Oh, worst work advice. Probably I can't recall anything because um, I don't pay attention to bad advice. <laughs> <laughs> that's probably a good answer. <laughs> Yeah, I guess don't. If it doesn't sound right, it probably isn't. Um, yeah. That's probably yeah. a good one. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. How do you see our profession changing in the next ten years? Um, well, I think it's already changing, and um, again, I, th- I think what's really important in our little profession. And this is going to sound funny, but I think it's important that we have a positive narrative. Mm-hmm. And I don't hear enough of that. I hear it from some. Um, super impressed with ACS. Yeah. Um, you know, Association Consulting Survey, super impressed with those guys. They are just constantly amazing me with the way that they deal with their profession and look after their professionals and raise the standard all the time. It's wonderful. And that narrative is really, really important. Um, um and so what I mean by that is that I hear a lot of surveyors just kind of like defending territory, just going, oh, well, we used to do this and we used to do that. And now these guys are coming in and, well, they can't do it as well as us. And, uh, negative, 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 you know, so boring to hear. Like imagine going along to an open day and talking to a high school kid like that, you know, <laughs> like, as if they're going to jump on board, yeah. you know, whereas at the same time we now have, not just GPS, but multi-GNSS, giving us centimetres in real time, backed up by cause networks. We have data modernisation, you know, so we have this fantastic data now, which is just so solid, you know, that we can we can enable. We've got laser scanners, but we don't just have terrestrial laser scanners. We've got um, mobile laser scanners that yep. you might strap onto a car. Or you've got a laser scanner that you might walk around with. We've yeah. got a laser scanner that you might put on a drone. Oh, yeah, we've got drones too. And then drones take photographs. But they don't only take photographs. They could also do infrared. They could yeah. also do this. And all of this stuff. And, and then there's satellite imagery out of the wazoo, you know, and all sorts of, you know, now we've got an open spatial data policy. Thank mm-hmm. you, Narelle. Um, across New South Wales, we've got maps going digital. We've got so much information coming and so many different devices that we can be using and integrating and you need people who are expert on doing this so you don't go to the salesman and he says oh yeah you press this button and it'll give you millimeters well what happens when you move your laser scanner somewhere else and try and line it up then and it doesn't fit and what's (laughs) geo-referencing anyway and by the way what's uncertainty how much is a millimeter how do you put this stuff together you know this is the value that surveyors give, right? Because we teach this stuff. We understand mm-hmm. datums. We understand what a scale factor is. We understand that we lived on a curved earth. We might have to deal with that stuff. We understand how to do this and to put it together. So when a client, you know, 
you ask them how good do you want it they say millimeters because they don't know what a millimeter <laughs> is right we go mm, how about centimeters or five mil or you know um it's surveyors that can diagnose those problems yeah. and give those solutions to people we have got so many opportunities to do this i, I heard this great story um from south australia when they were building the super highway and the the, the project surveyor who's going to take that on board said oh so do you have the plans for the super highway well the, the engineers gave him paper cad diagrams and he spent oh, i don't know two three months trying to digitize the whole thing into his little software and then he had people coming to him with data from robotic total stations from digital levels from gnss from laser scanners and pretty soon they realized that as soon as they had data they better give it to this guy because he know how he knows how to put it together yeah. in his database which he has yep. digitally he knows how to put it together he became the data custodian on the site no one went to anyone else except him because he was the guy this is how we've got to bill ourselves yeah we understand datums oh where did you get that data from oh uh what does that say here isg what does that stand for <laughs> oh uh, uh right we know you know oh, a g d 66 g d a 94 double g s 84 holy shit what a nightmare that datum is it's not even a datum you know like so surveyors are the ones who have have this we have the language we understand all this stuff and know how to put it together if we don't know we know who to ask or how to put it together so that people can be certain on how good their data is right so it's one thing to have data it's another thing to have certainty on it so you know like the classic the the structural engineer will design the bridge to move this amount or is it moving that amount? So the surveyor will then design a survey to measure how much it's moving. And they can say, it is actually moving this amount mm -hmm. within these bounds, within standard deviation, within 95% confidence interval. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that side of things. And we don't tell the world that. No one knows that. Mm. No one knows that, you know, and, and increasingly people are saying, oh, well, the cadaster's getting better. So you won't need registered surveyors anymore. Who's going to take the, who's gonna take the, the fall for it when it's not right? <laughs> who's going to be the authoritative voice you know who's the one who's going to sign off on it and say no this is right in my professional judgment yeah it's registered surveyors there's so much that could be happening when we're going to 3d cadaster we're going to have flying drones soon you know emergency services by drone flying in a corridor a 3d corridor with a with some sort of legal instrument of who defines that corridor registered surveyor it's all coming you know there is so much that we could be doing so this idea of defending territory and going oh well it's not how we used to do things oh god that drives me bananas there's so much we could be doing get on the front foot and own it own it we've got so much we can be doing before bloody mechatronics people come along or civil engineers no idea about uncertainty you know let's own this stuff it's like that conversation that we had on LinkedIn of someone saying, oh, yeah, we don't need surveyors anymore because all these people know how to use these these different pieces of equipment. And it's like, well, no, hang on. They know how to use the equipment. They don't know how it all fits together and how it affects where we and, are. And you know what freaks me out about that? <laughs> the guy bills himself as an educator. I know. <laughs> my ass yeah yeah that, right? like I, I i just was like oh my god are you serious yeah 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 like but just, it, yeah. so i am constantly challenged by this stuff in my teaching you know so i'm mm. 
you know, like, am I up to date? Have I got the latest? Did you know that uh, the geodetic technical manual is GDA technical manual is now version 1.6. Holy shit. Last year it was 1.3. <laughs> you know, like it's constantly changing. I mean, look, there are only little minor changes, but you know, I feel like I've got to constantly keep up with this sort of stuff, you know, and, and I get that surveyors are super busy with what they're doing. So, you know, that's why I try and get out of conferences and things like that. And, yeah, think about what I'm going to sort of present and, you know, perhaps be the bridge between, you know, what's happening and what, what, what industry, you know, should be knowing as well. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it should be a symbiotic relationship, you know, because I, I go along to these conferences and I get as much out of the conferences as well too. I'm just learning from what, you know, current practice is. Yeah. yeah. Being Elliot Sinclair, I was doing a lot of the aerial photogrammetry Oh, interesting. Hmm. So that was obviously before drones were invented. Mm-hmm. Um, we hired a plane. We got a hole cut in the plane and got a camera insert made up. Mm-hmm. And we, I literally would do the flight planning and then drive out to the airport with the camera, fit the camera to the floor of the plane and then lie down on the floor. Of the, we take all the seats out and lie down on the floor of the plane and actually take the photos manually with a it was obviously crossing a grid so you had your 80% overlap and you just yeah, go and click 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 and on some flights which weren't great I would throw up at the end of each run because oh, it no. wasn't very nice <laughs> um motion sickness um so yeah and then I'd take them straight take the photos the camera straight to the photographer and he'd process them and the next day I'd pick them up and then we'd put them we had an MPS2 photogrammetric plotter which made little square photos so put them into there and then we'd I'd sit there and just like float the dots and create topographical surveys of large areas land oh gosh I don't think I've spoken to anybody that's done that before no. Oh, cool! Yeah, no, that's yeah. pretty cool. It is. It's pretty cool. It was uh, really cool, and it was, and they were kind of they were trialing it, and we, you know, we did several jobs um, over that year, and then the police came to us. They had the Christchurch Child, Civic Childcare Centre um, a case where a guy was accused of molesting children. And they got us to map all of that because it was an old building and there were cupboards that kind of went into tunnels and the kids were hiding in the tunnels. And and so they got us to map that. And then the last case that I was on with regards to the police was a murder where these kids had gone in to take money off an old man. And he was a, he was a very kind old man. He was giving a lot of money to street kids but these kids were rich and they pretended to be street kids and they went and they beat him up and he bled to death but he he had this house where he uh, like a hoarder so the newspaper on the kitchen floor was like that thick Mm. and so all you know and it was on a Saturday and I was playing netball and the boss said oh you have to go and do this photography thing so we went in there with the camera and we took the photos and then I spent the next two weeks mapping the blood stains and the blood splatters and for the court case wow. um 
but I didn't sleep during that time because the whole thing just like tear it was awful. Yeah, it was just the thought, the smell of the blood and the and the whole I was traumatized and said I don't want to work on those jobs anymore. Mm. Um, and I think after that time the police ended up getting their own cameras and their own photogrammetrists and mm-hmm. whatever. But so it was just sort of at the beginning of when that was all starting to happen. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. So I didn't get registered very quickly because of all of, you know I did all that work which mm-hmm. wasn't really registration worthy at the time it is now yeah but uh, to become a you know registered or licensed cadastral survey photo photogrammetrizing murder scenes doesn't really come into it <laughs> no not 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 really current state of our profession what are your thoughts on it on stage. <laughs> um, look, um, I feel like I was lucky enough. So firstly, from my perspective, I was lucky enough to work with, you know, T16, you know, writing down the stuff. On, and, and also I've experienced working with laser scanner and, you know, drones and stuff. So I've seen both sides of the, yep. you know, the story. Uh, and, you know, I was probably the only generation had that this, you know, two sides of the story. Uh, well, you know, I mean, it's generation probably, you know, for you as well, but the, the whole generation. Yeah. <laughs> um, and um, I think like we are, we are going toward a, um, a you know, as, as well as every other industry, we are going to getting things done easier. Yeah. Uh, and it's obviously benefits everyone. Um, I, I, I actually remember that someone told me one day that uh, from measuring, we are moving toward capturing. So we used to measure stuff, now we're capturing stuff. Uh, this has a lot of, you know, positive points and negative points. Um, you know, again, I'm not a fan of laser scanning or drones. You know, I'm not saying it's good or bad, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't, like I've engaged laser scanning guys a lot of time for more projects, but, um, you know, it's not my cup of tea. It's, I'm not doing laser scanning myself because, you know, I feel like surveying had to do something else. <laughs> you know, laser scanner, is a job is a good job it's very you know developed uh, uh, you know technology mm. instruments but it's not really surveying unless the surveyor helps them to get it done properly so i think i, I posted something on linkedin uh, a couple of months ago and uh, i posted a photo of uh, opera house uh, and the surveyor was uh, you know doing something some measurements next to the opera house and i was i, I wrote on a post that Things were uh, better than uh, surveying was not just pushing your butter. And it was backlash to me. A lot of people saying, oh, don't blame technology for this. It's not technology, things like that. And, and I think people didn't get the point because I was saying like, you know, when uh, surveying was, you know, doing a lot of calculations and, you know, measurements and interpreting, uh, you know, knowing, having the knowledge of surveying, uh, the outcome was definitely in a higher quality yeah I'm not saying you know who is using the technology is not delivering a high quality product but i'm saying that the the, the pace of the you know the job the the you know that as you know the technology that the instruments that we have mm. made the jobs to to be done faster a lot quicker a lot yeah. quicker yeah definitely. and and of course a lot cheaper <laughs> which is not good and <laughs> And the outcome is not uh, probably satisfying for everyone. The outcome is like we have like 10% of high quality good jobs, 
but 90% of the you know delivered products are doesn't have the, the, the you know as good as quality as they used to have back in the day. Mm, yeah. So do you regret your decision to become a surveyor? No, never. No. Mm -hmm. uh, for me, it's uh, I just couldn't see myself doing anything else. Yeah. It's uh, very much the ideal job for for me. Uh, you know what I like in life and and so on. I love it. Yeah, it's it's funny because nearly, I mean, you get the old one. Nearly everyone that I speak to is like, no, no, wouldn't change it. Love it. It's a great job. Occasionally, you get one person sort of go, well, yeah, I might have done something else or and, and stuff. But even even myself, not being in the, you know, out out in the field anymore, I still think it's such a great career yeah so diverse and so many things you can do and different places you get to go and all that sort of stuff that there's always just so many things to keep you interested mm. uh and the way that um change is continu continually happening yeah. uh always enough to keep you interested i mean yeah. as i said we've only just got into scanning yeah and it's not that something that i really want to i don't want to champion the scanner because we've got other guys that can do that. Mm. But um, I've definitely wanted to be part of it to see how it works, uh, to see what's the best procedures with it and yeah. and so on. So at least I know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. How does that go with like, um, you know, I'm not saying you're old or anything, but <laughs> I keep coming back to all the different changes that you've seen. Um, how did you go about with you know all this new different equipment coming in all the time and like it really has been a massive yeah. massive change in technology how did you go about keeping up with it because some people i know in their companies um don't have robotic instruments still they just yeah. use a yeah. total station um i'm the type of person that gets bored really easily uh -huh. So I'm always looking to, uh, if I get bored, I'll start thinking about how to do things differently, yeah. how to improve them. So when uh, new technology comes in, they usually give it to me because I'll, I'll adapt quicker than the young guys will. Yeah, you'll play with it, work out how it works, yeah. what you got to do. Yeah, okay. Usually out of boredom. <laughs> oh, how do you have the time? I don't know. <laughs> Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, just keep playing with things until I get mm. them to work. Mm. Once you once you become a registered surveyor and you know realise that what you put in to go to uni in the registration process was a privilege to be able to get you to work under the survey the surveying act in that day. Now, mm. the, now the surveying spatial information act. You know we have an act of parliament in New South Wales that make, that gives us a privilege to deal with boundary surveying. Mm. You know, it's, it's not a, uh, it, it's, it, it's, you know, and what there are a thousand or 1200 registered surveyors in New South Wales or something like that. And it's our, it's our job to maintain the cadaster. You know, and the cadaster, the cadaster for a long time now has formed the basis of underpinning, you know, the financial system in New South Wales. Mm. And it, it is a privilege to do that, you know, to, to work in that system. And, you know, we are experts at what we do. 
There's yeah. no doubt about that. And, you know, the cadaster in its in a state today uh, it can be attributed to that long lines of registered surveyors going back to, you know, whenever it first started happening. And, it, you know, we, we need to, you know, in, 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 in the profession today, in the, in the register part of it, we need to, you know, really focus on that privilege that we get to carry out our work that other surveyors, technical surveyors or hydrographic surveyors or geodetic surveyors cannot do. So it gives us a bit of a, you know, a, a niche to make a living and we need to respect that mm. uh, because maybe, maybe we'll get on to later my thoughts on just where we are with, where we are with that at the moment you know, and our product, the registered surveyor's product. Um, it's probably worthy of talking about that later because uh, and, and, you know, it does concern me greatly. Yeah. So yeah, I'm a I'm a proud registered surveyor, and you know, as um, as it was put in the in the the article in the surveying magazine uh, by his own categorisation, one born from surety rather than conceit, and I love the way the journalist put that. Land thieves, Greg Goodman is an Olympic level registered surveyor, and if there was a global gain for the profession, there's little doubt he'd sell for anything less than gold, and I don't. Yeah, I don't in in this in the business of land team. You know, I don't settle for less than gold with our registered surveyors. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and because uh, I, I really believe in that privilege that we've been given to to work under the Surveyors Act. So yeah, how do, yeah. how do you feel with um, you know, the people coming through now? There's a lot that's always spoken about with um, not having the mentoring that used to happen. Um, there's, you know, there's a lot of people going for registration that there's not enough registered surveyors to actually be able to mentor these people to that level that, you know, you're talking about. Yeah. Well, look, I, Peter, I, I, you know, mentoring, mentoring, the, the, the sad situation of mentoring generally of our candidates at the moment is, is part, of the, part of the reason I believe that, you know, we're, as a registered surveyor, we're probably under a threat, um, which we can bring up later. But you know, you, we just have to give the time to these to these young candidates to sit mm. down and like it's it's complicated stuff, mm. you know. And they they can't just it, it, they've got to be taught it. They they don't get it at uni. They get the you know the background and, and the, you know everything that we need at uni. But you know, once you start working and getting your head around, like I mean, getting your head around a fix in the in this, the early days is, you know, and if it's if it's not a dual occupancy in a new subdivision or what have you, but you know, it, it, it is complicated, and just getting an understanding for that um, is quite 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 a task. But so you know, I had I had really good mentors in Hans Kuhn and Bob Kabinga that worked at BHP. Um, they had plenty of time for me. I was able to ask them lots of questions mm. and have them sit down with them. But today, you know, back in uh, back in the, in the day when I was the president of ISNSW along with John Minahan and some others, you know, just really getting the candidate workshop going, it, it became clear, well, not so clear at that stage because things were pretty strong, but a few years later into the early second decade, um, you know, Candidates were turning up that really had no idea yeah. of where they were going or what. You know, some of their some of their early work was you know 
it was nowhere near the preparation that they required. And it turned out that in talking with a lot of them that, you know, the, the problem was they weren't getting the mentoring, hence the candidate workshop, uh, which works very, still works very strongly today, mm. uh, where we had volunteer surveyors, you know, um, from all over the place that will give their time to sit down, you know, with a, um, with a cadastral plan, an urban job or a rural job or a strata plan, and go through it and pick out the pieces that need improvement and explain why. Uh, and then that's the institution doing that. Over on the other side with ACS, you know, the town planning and the, and the engineering workshops are working really well. Mm. So, yeah, it's just that, that mentoring. So, you know, we've got um, uh, a, a female graduate surveyor from the University of South Queensland, Megan Braddon, with us at the moment. Um, and her move to us was largely based around, you know, we're not getting the mentoring where she was. Yeah. Uh, we've got, we got another, another fella starting, a South African fella starting very shortly. that has been over here for a few years working in Queensland, mm-hmm. uh, being promised getting into cadastral work. They want to be, he wants to be registered, but just getting sucked up in the engineering. Yeah. So mentoring, mentoring is a big deal. We understand the regions. We are all country kids. We understand how the place ticks. We'll yeah. respect you. We know that the, the stresses the projects are under and because of that deep knowledge, we will make sure your project comes through. And yeah. that's what we've engaged Keo to do, really push the fact that we are we are um, here to give you, uh, minimise the risk in your project. Employ us, the project will have a higher risk uh, chance of success because yeah. we're involved. Yeah. I've got similar backgrounds, whereas they've been bitten the the coastal firms or firms who don't really want to live out here in the country. So they might like you, Peter, because you know, you know, you understand that if you're not going to live in our communities and be part of it, well, why should I invest time with you if you're not going to invest time with us? No, that's fair enough, isn't it? And that's fair enough. So yeah. so that's the that's our focus in our company. We are we are here to service inland regional New South Wales. Yeah. And that means traveling 10 hours to do it because the clients trust us better than someone through four four hours from Sydney, well so be it. Mm. That's fair enough. So yeah, that's that's the brand messaging we're putting out there. So mm. that's that's my elevated pitch if, to you. Uh, engage us and we'll work hard and it's not just physically working hard sweating and you know driving long hours it's actually we'll hard, work hard to make sure your project is completed yeah. whether it's hard conversations or uh, pulling other people in or thinking laterally but or getting different gear we'll, we'll make up make sure we get your project across the line yeah and that's what they want to hear isn't it yep yep yeah I don't know how that tied in your last question. I'm sort of forgotten what it was. Oh, no. The, the, <laughs> the questions kind of roll and then it's always, we just, it doesn't matter who I'm speaking to, we go off on another tangent. It doesn't matter. <laughs> as long as people are still happy to listen. <laughs> be entertaining. Don't be boring. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. Mitch, what motivates you? Um, uh, look, to be honest, I can't stand being bored. I need <laughs> just, I'm just too curious. I'm too curious for my own good at times. Sometimes I just wish I could be just a truck driver, I could sit there and drive trucks all day and have six stubbies at the end of the day. But I'll pull over and say, geez, look at that. Let's stop here and have a look at this. 
that sign say? I wonder what they're doing this for. <laughs> What's your name? What do you do? Oh, my daughter hates going down the main street with me because I find everyone interesting. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. so a five-minute um, trip takes an hour. <laughs> oh, yeah, the deadline and that. So mm. I just... I'm a, um, it was described when we had a session, the value session, we actually, uh, we talked about a whole stack of things and, and the, and the uh, facilitator said, all right, boys, everyone, I've got and girls, it was, it was, it was, we're very mixed. Um, he said, you got to, she said, you got to understand about something about Mitch. Mitch is the foil chaser. So when the bits of aluminum foil come, and he said, geez, look at that. That looks interesting. Let's go and chase that for a while. <laughs> I have not heard that before. <laughs> And, and then she pointed around the room to a couple of me and said, you like doing the same thing day in, day out. You do not change. And she's like, yeah. oh, no, I love, I love stability. I just yeah. want to do the same thing. And she says, that's good too. You need both. You need someone who's a foil chaser and someone who's not. <laughs> oh, it would just be, life would be boring if we're all the same, wouldn't it? So when, when um, with my wife, I, uh, I, I said a couple of things. I said, look, I can guarantee one thing, it'll never be boring. There'll be, I'll always have something <laughs> on the go because I can't help myself. <laughs> so she asked me one time, what am I going to do when I retire? And I said, I don't know, go back to work. Because rose gardening and golfing don't seem to be, look, I don't think there's anything as intellectually stimulating as doing what we're doing in our profession. Yeah. I looked at all the other professions and I just can't see the, like accountancy or, being a council uh, engineer, or I just, she shoot me now. I just couldn't do it. Yeah. Just couldn't do it. I just, um, I love designing, love building things. I love solving problems. I, I love being outside. I love talking to people who are doing it. You've got ideas, want to do stuff. Yeah, let's make this happen. You know, mm. this, oh, you know, it's, I probably should just focus on being a coal miner and earn a quarter million dollars a year or something like that. But geez, <laughs> I, I just, God, I couldn't do it. It's just so boring. Yeah. If ever you stop listening, you're always going to be in trouble. Because even, you know, that, that thing about a, a stop clock is is even right twice a day or out, out of the mouths of babes, that, that you do have to listen to people even though, you know, by and large what they're saying is of no great merit because at times they will run across all that's not something I've, I've thought of or, okay, that, that's a really good, really good point. Mm. And you, you can only do that. You can only do that for your benefit and everyone else's benefit if you do engage with people seriously and, and legitimately. It's, it's like when, uh, when students have complaints or students do feedback from their whole thing. I, I hope they realise we take it as seriously as we do. Yeah. Uh, okay. You've got to do a bit, let's say it like the Olympic diving, toss out the really big compliments, toss out the really heavy sledges and, and the truth is in there somewhere. Yeah. Uh, and that, that's in all, all things we do. And it, it's often, it's a bit hard when you recognise um, when you can, when you become intimidating to people that they won't, they won't say what they really think. Mm -hmm. That that always gets dangerous. It's you got to really try and be approachable. But there's, but when you're not, 
like I am at heart an introvert. And so, and I've kind of got a resting bitch face. So, so, so people <laughs> tend, people tend not to chat to me on, like my mother's the opposite. She's plagued by people. Everyone I talk to my mum on public transport and total strangers will mm. tell her her mm. whole life story. It drives her nuts. But, but I'm, I'm the opposite. You know, like I, I don't do small talk and I probably look much up. Much generally look unhappier than I actually am, um, and so I, I imagine people who don't know me would have a different view from um, from afar from the reality. But that's uh, hmm. uh, I've never been I've never been able to to get around that. Uh, you, you, oh. you try and force a smile, you just just look like you've got terrible wind or something like that. In general, the students are not shy about pointing out my my failings, and so God love them. This, I get to point out theirs, so theirs fair. This this conversation has not gone anywhere where I thought it would tonight. <laughs> oh, okay, I'm oh, sorry if I. No, it's fine. Don't negotiate with terrorists, Peter. Don't ever negotiate with terrorists. I'll just watch out for that resting bitch face. <laughs> I'm a conversational terrorist. <laughs> What's your guilty pleasure? <laughs> I heard today, This is, I was listening to a podcast with, do you, do you know, um, uh, what's her name? Uh, David Mitchell, the comedian, and his wife, um, Torrin, what's her first name? No. At any rate, she, she was talking about that question about your guilty pleasure, and, and mo most people's you know, guilty pleasure is, oh, watch Downton Abbey, and, you, and she's going, well, what's, what's, what's to be guilty about that? Yeah. And apparently her husband in, a, in like a magazine article or something said, uh, uh, what's your guilty pleasure? And he, and he replied, I like to have sex with prostitutes. <laughs> <laughs> you can just imagine their face to just to throw a bomb like that. Sorry, that, that was just, I was, I was out doing some exercises and that was on the podcast. Um, my, my guilty pleasure, um, guilty pleasure would, would mean, like it's hard to be a Catholic without dealing with guilt a bit. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm sure I, I must have them. Um, <laughs> Being a Catholic, yes, there must be something in there. <laughs> no, I don't. I used to, I used to laugh, love drafting plans. That's probably not something to be guilty about. Hello. Hi. Hi, Mary. How are you? I'm good. Bob gets cramps, so he has to stand ah, up now and then, which are a bit no of a problem. problem. Oh, especially when we sit here talking for so long. Oh, well, he's used to having someone talking because I never stop. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. But he'll be back in a sec. That's um, okay. But he didn't tell you that he, um, he takes in kids from school during the holidays Oh, doing the work um, experience. The work experience, yeah, yes, yeah. for a week at a time. Mm -hmm. And he's got a couple of really good ones at the moment. So oh, fantastic. Who, um, a fellow from Janali who had no idea what surveying was, but Bob went and spoke at the school and he's had a go. And that's what his goal is now. 
Awesome. Oh, that's so uh, you know, good. I mean, it makes well, it such does. a difference. Oh, it does. Mm. It does. And if you show an interest, like, you know, if um, when I was working, because I'm not at the moment, I'm just a volunteer now with St. Mm -hmm. Minnie's, he, um, he'd be, I'd be talking at the office, you know, because I was a medical secretary and knew, I was there for 20 years, so I knew the, the parents really well. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, I'd say, what's Johnny doing? How's his uh, maths? And, oh, I don't know what he wants to do. And I used to keep all this surveying <laughs> stuff under the desk and hand it over. And <laughs> I heard you were a really good advocate for uh, getting the word out there about really uh, funny. surveying. <laughs> yeah. And I was going to show you, can you bring this up for me, please? His uh, OAM, he got oh. an OAM. Look, yep. the medal. Isn't the medal beautiful? Can Brilliant. you see it? Yes, I can yeah. see it. That's, yeah, I know, so, that's just fantastic. Yeah, it's we were very proud so of him. So proud? And he yeah, didn't definitely. even want to get it, did you? He said, oh. I don't, I'm not worthy. And I said, be quiet, get out there. <laughs> <laughs> nice talking to you. You Here too, you Mary. <laughs> <laughs> you're a uh, proudest supporter there yes yeah mm -hmm. she's very good very yep. good she's uh, been by your side for quite a while too yep mm. um okay what would be the best work advice that you've ever heard Ooh. never turn down an opportunity mm-hmm um opportunities may only come an opportunity may only come along once in your lifetime mm -hmm. you take it no matter what the risk and you have a go and as you're on the way you you make a decision that you're going to keep going forward uh you might have to wander along the path a bit but you yep. keep going forward uh, and you find a way around the problems that come up as you go. Um, there, there's, I've never knocked back any sort of work. Mm. Um, I'll, I'll have a go at anything. If I don't know how to do it, I'll find out how to do it. But, yep. but generally speaking, your university training or your, your job training uh, enables us to take on anything in surveying. Mm. And I never, I've never turned down an opportunity. Uh, we did a bit of land development work, um, Pete Friedman and myself, and in, oh, it must have been early 80s, he spotted an ad for a block of land at Janelli. Yeah. And he came to me and he said, just imagine if we bought this block of land. I said, how much is it? He said, a million dollars. I said, oh, a million dollars. Oh, that's a lot of money, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Two days later, we had a loan for a million dollars. Oh, gosh. Because I saw that as an opportunity. Yeah. And, and um, we found a way to do it. Yeah. Uh, now, it turned out it wasn't a very good development. Um, <laughs> we got a lot of experience. Yeah. Um, we got good survey fees for it, but we didn't make any money on it. Oh, and, I know. <laughs> and, but you can't, you've got to buy your experience. You, you mm -hmm. It costs money to get experience. And, and that was one of the experiences that we learned from land development. I mean, mm -hmm. overall, we probably did 100, 120 uh, lots of land 
on various developments over the years. Mm. Very little money made, lots of good survey fees, but but no. Every time we went to the agent and said we're we're going to flog this um, new development that we've got. And they said, yeah, we knew that the market was da- going down because you were coming to us with a, <laughs> some land to sell. <laughs> <We're>, oh, no. <laughs> we never bought uh, at the right time and we never sold at the right time. But we don't enjoyed you usually, what we were doing. Don't you usually learn from your mistakes? <laughs> yeah, but we never missed an opportunity. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's funny. Um, I just want to go back to back to the start where you finished and started your own little consulting business. What was the instrument that you bought? I bought a Sokia. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, it was Sakisha then, Sakisha mm-hmm. TM20C Theodolite. Okay. Um, it was, um, well, see, when I started with John White, we had two vernier Theodolites. Yep. And not long after I started, he bought the first Cook Troughton and Sims Microptic, which was a glass uh, mm-hmm. circle theodolite. Uh-huh. All the others were a, um, a silver vernier um, yes. reading um, on the old style theodolites. I've got mm-hmm. one here in the lounge room, actually. Of course you do. 